0: Um, let's give it five to 10 minutes for just kind of time in case anybody wants to listen to this live. We'll see how it goes. Oh, there's people. Okay. You know, it, it's like people show up when I hit the start event button. And that's like what they're waiting for or something. <laughs> that's like, oh, that's it. Oh, we're starting? Wild. Okay. Yeah. That's weird. Um, yeah super cool so i'm gonna give uh everyone a few minutes i'm gonna give about five minutes for people to just uh come in um it looks like everybody abandoned us in short order (laughs) oh no oh no (laughs) damn damn now that feels bad okay that's okay (laughs) that's okay uh i'm gonna give people five minutes um and then uh we'll start so
1: sounds good um so are we anticipating anybody else from the team joining us uh, i think she muted herself
0: oh i um oh. yeah i was totally talking like i was unmuted <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so i think yorsi might show up but uh i'm not quite sure uh i got kind of a mixed uh i i didn't get a f- for sure i would love for yorsi to be on this panel but i don't know if yorsi is gonna be able to show up so uh we'll see okay well
1: cool um i will let's see so i f- i figured we'd go into this like uh what am i trying to say basically like for intending it for it to be consumable for people who are new to the project so if it's all right i'd like to introduce everybody that's uh that's on the call and ask about what they've worked on on the project yeah um alex is in the in the little in the audience as well
0: yeah alex um if you want to you don't have to i did invite you to speak if you'd like to like jump up here um but that's that's up to you um maybe (laughs) alex is not in a good place to speak that's fine but yeah uh so uh, I want to go last. Um, Nat, go first. <laughs>
2: oh, Hi, I'm Nat, uh, lead designer on this. I've been mostly taking on the role of, like, developmental editing and finishing editing so far. Um, so on the Tower of Atonement, I was, uh, did some structural uh, edit passes and some mechanics design that was pretty hot pretty fun um but outside the project i'm a professional gm and i do freelance writing for this and also some other groups like uh, mcdm for instance third party 5e stuff
1: very cool um can i can i follow up on let's see you mentioned some mechanics design so having dug through the uh the tower of atonement can you give us some more details on what you worked on specifically
2: yeah so um To give kind of a structural start to what that adventure looked like, um, VJ and Friday took the first pass at it, did the rough design, put a lot of ideas down. And for me, it was the stat blocks in the layer actions uh primarily that I applied uh some coats of paint to. And, you know, sure, you know, like, this thing was a good idea, but we need to reword it to actually have to make it work in the game. This is cool, but maybe this needs a mobility option because high level play player characters can do a lot of crap um (laughs) these dcs need to be adjusted how about this idea you know i i a lot of me went into those stat blocks uh although the initial design was primarily vj all
1: right well that's really cool um yeah i think the layer actions specifically like those have a lot of interesting ideas in there they feel very thematically appropriate for the creatures and yeah it's clear that you've put some thought into like the monster design here on how this is going to interact with high level players how are you going to keep them busy um, there's a lot of stuff in here that encourages like clever thinking and careful movement and things like that. Like none yeah. none of the monsters in Tower of Atonement are gonna be, you know, a, a run up and kick it in the shins until it falls over situation.
2: Yeah. And um, I, as a personal GM, I have a lot of more experience than the average GM learning Tier 3 and Tier 4 play. It's something that was one of my strengths. So when I I bring that to high level monster design uh, on the regular, there's lots of things I can point out. Like, that's a wonderful idea, but this monster does nothing. (laughs) You know? And uh, that's not specifically talking about what we started with for these designs, but more for just like a lot of monster design in general. At high level, I find a lot of designers don't really know what to do with the high-level monster designs.
1: Yeah, I can definitely see that being a problem. Um, Like, 5e isn't notorious for the monsters being super interesting all the time, and even at high levels you do have those things. Like, oh, it's CR-12 and its only action is multi-attack.
3: Yeah, on the flip yeah. side, e- even if the monsters are interesting, the average GM is often not great at driving those higher tier monsters. So being somebody who actually specializes Ooh. in that and knows what makes that combat interesting, I think that could add a, value, a lot of value to a project like this.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. But should we continue through introducing the rest of the for our crew? Uh,
1: VJ, why don't you tell us what you worked
0: on?
4: Uh, yeah, hi, uh, everybody. My name is Vijay. Um, I worked on... I also worked on the Tower of Atonement uh, with Friday, and I did the, the the initial pass on the monster design for our uh, actual BBEG Ashland, which was a fun little time. Um, and outside of, like, working, outside of doing this, I uh, also professionally run uh, games and also contribute to a number of third-party 5e, wow, uh, companies, including MCDM as well. Uh, but yeah, just had, like, a had like a really i had a really great time with tower of atonement it's like it feels like it has a lot of um it feels like it has a lot of catholic guilt in it in some places which was like <laughs> i'm i'm not actually catholic um i'm I'm baptist or was so it's not my brand of Chris- christian guilt but it was fun to like do some christian guilt stuff that i didn't have to then unpack later on like oh man i should think about this as a as a catholic because i am not but the Oh, but like nat was saying there was a lot of um there was a lot of high level design that went into making the stat blocks making sure they work and nat did have to come in at a bunch of places and just point out for me it was like oh yeah 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 these need these need tweaking sorry tweaking here and there but overall the the design of the adventure and the actual stat blocks was a pretty fun time
0: yeah i, I sat down with uh, Vijay vj um when we were initially conceiving of this adventure and we were talking about it and kind of figuring out what we wanted to do and like we were like okay so we have this we have this concept we have this NPC the confessor written by uh Kina Shaw Kina Shaw said that she might be able to stop by uh, for at least 30 minutes to talk a little bit but, um, so I won't, I won't talk too much about the confessor, but like, uh, we were trying to figure out like what sort of thematic adventure can we design around this NPC to really highlight them and then also make it, uh, fun for the players to try something new and different. And, uh, we know, we knew that we wanted high, high level play. So that was, um, why I went to, uh, people with the experience working for, uh, you know, Arcadia and Flea Mortals and VJ and Nat as the designers on this adventure. All right. That's very cool. Um.
1: Let's see. So I I skipped this part, but I should probably introduce myself. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Tyler. Uh, I'm here from the RPGBot.podcast. If you're not familiar with RPGBot, um, we're known for character optimization and talking about mechanics and stuff. Uh, Randall is here with me, my po- uh, podcast co-host.
3: How's it going? I'm Randall. Yeah, uh, I think that stuff carried a lot of weight in there. There's a lot of things that we talk about. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's awesome to join everybody.
0: Also, we have Dave here. Dave. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> do, you want to, do you want to tell us a little bit
5: about yourself, please? Yes, yeah, no, Dave, what on. did you work on? I was just <laughs> enjoying listening. That's right. Um, I'm Dave. Uh, I'm uh, a writer. I uh, Mostly part-time. Uh, I'm involved in uh, some LARP stuff in the UK, uh, where I'm from. I don't know if you can tell. Uh, but for the project, I uh, was working on some uh, history beats for the um the Vineyard itself, uh, talking about what uh, they did before they became the Vineyard, especially Aisling. Um, also covering some of the uh, sort of uh, nasty, nefarious plots they got up to uh, and how they maintain their power in the present day, controlling um, necromancy. And uh, and like a lot of other contributors, I also uh, uh, wrote up a dossier for a uh, one of the lieutenants as well of the Vineyard. Can you tell us which one? Yeah, go ahead, I, Dave. You can talk about it. Okay, that's cool. Uh, I wrote um, the my... Lieutenant's called uh, the pallor um, which is sort of a weird take on the concept. It's kind of like the thing meets a uh, sort of a sentient fungus. so the pallor is a uh, they were a herbologist perhaps in the past who through a ritual managed to put their uh, their mind into a uh, effectively a giant garden of undead fungus which now uh, infests bodies brought into it and can put them as agents of the vineyard for better or worse uh it's a bit of a stranger take on on the idea of a boss enemy i suppose you could say one that can sort of uh scale to different levels from uh, depending on who it's animating or if it's the the garden itself but uh yeah it was a, it was fun to try and bring in some different horror beats into the uh, in into the uh, concept
3: awesome cool so i, I want to ask a question we talked about a couple ideas uh, i've heard folks talk about the vineyard i've heard folks talk about the tower of atonement as an adventure um Yeah, let's start. Like, What is the vineyard? What should folks expect as they step into the vineyard? Or if uh, I'm a a DMG, I'm hoping to hop into this at home. What should I be looking to? Why am I going to be excited about about this space?
0: So one of the major design concepts that we had when we first conceived of the Vineyard RPG, me and uh, M. Abel, my co-creator, was we were looking to resolve a problem that we found in most... RPG books uh, for tabletop in that a lot of the time the villains either had no focus uh, in the actual written material uh, and everything was very player focused. So we wanted to build an entire structure around creating a really great villain organization that would be supported by the text. And what we have uh, come up with is an entire antagonist that's both supported by the organization. Uh, There's someone who is attempting to uh, reclaim their place as the undead god of secrets. Um, we have some high tier enemies we have some low tier enemies Uh, we have pretty expansive villain dossiers for each uh, npc that we primarily sort of focus on these nine these eight lieutenants and then ashland makes nine npcs for us it's not just the paragraph that you would normally get in an rpg book um, where you get like maybe a page for a whole faction the whole book is about the faction and um, this book itself can be planted uh, as a supplement into any of the cities that you currently use uh, as your setting maybe it's water deep or somewhere else um like drakenheim and you can sort of add on to instead of take away all the material that we're having like these uh, 20 different locations uh which are uh, beautifully painted by uh matt duckett and matt duckett is here uh i'd invite you to speak i'm not sure if you'd like to but if you want to you can um i would love uh for you to talk during the ama matt um if you're cool with that but uh, yeah, the the whole the whole uh, reason that we we're building this book was to provide more engaging villains for people. And uh, yeah,
3: that's awesome. So I, I'll be honest. It sounds like that's as rewarding for the dungeon master as it is for the players at the table. Uh, hearing a lot of folks here are professional GMs by day. Uh, yeah. How, how on point is that?
0: Yeah. So yeah. Um... It is meant to be uh, something that you can just sort of pick up. And then if you, for whatever reason, your party takes a left turn, you have material within the book that you can directly like lift from the book and use right away. That's also why we've partnered with Describe, so that you have so much material that's ready for you on hand. We're going to have passages of box text from Describe to uh, either use as plot seeds or uh, interactions, conversations, magic items, narrative descriptions. All of that's really going to be available for you in the book and in addition to that you can go super deep or you can go um, very shallow so the shallow take is like you open the book you use it immediately and it's going to be available to you to use in a convincing way in a way that's going to be fun for you because if you glance over the narrative box text once or twice before you read it it's going to do you enough justice to uh, still recreate that horror experience for you also kiana shaw's here if we want to talk about the confessor hello kiana yeah kiana Uh... tell us all about the confessor (laughs)
6: Uh, Yeah, so I guess uh, you could say I'm one of the writers for the vineyard, uh, and I had the pleasure of creating one of the lieutenants, uh, specifically the confessor. She was featured in the preview adventure. Um, She is, um, as I like to say, every single thing about religious oppression and puritanical society stuffed into one terrible, terrible person uh, who also uh, apparently people love her a lot, um, which has been very fun for me to experience as someone who wrote someone who is irredeemably a bad person. I was like, I love her.
0: Kiana, <laughs> it's been nothing but adoration for the Confessor. Uh like, ev- like everyone I've ran the, the Confessor confrontation seven times now and everybody's like, I really like the Confessor and I'm just like, okay, well, I guess everybody's into Dummy Mommy, so <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, I mean the basic thing that I had about her was wh- who is a villain that is doing things that is terrible, but does it because of, um, as if we have seen in a lot of uh, religious oppression, because they feel like they have a sense of savior, uh, a savior complex, right? They have this the sense that they are doing something that is right. Um, but they are willing to do anything to get there. Um, and the levels of hypocrisy and the levels of violence, that's all kind of couched in this gentleness, this like idea of, I, I, I her as like the shepherd uh, that is willing to, to manipulate and to conversate and to torture and to do everything to purify uh, the vineyard. And I think it's something that echoes for a lot of people. Um the idea that someone can come in thinking that they have good intention for you, but, uh, ultimately has their own self-interest in mind. So, yeah, she was a very fun and interesting character to write. And, um, you know, people, uh, the rest of the team has done an amazing job uh, with her and taking her uh, into, you know, the mechanics uh, and taking her into this adventure. Um, And I'm glad that it's it's resonating with people.
1: (laughs) I think a lot of that came through super clearly on the, uh, in the first encounter in the Tower of Atonement. Like, you enter the tower and the tower's, dark and spooky and then the confessor arrives and uh, the what's the word i'm looking for the uh the text lines that are provided in the adventure box the box text yes um i am not used to box text also including like examples of speech for npcs which uh great idea by the way <laughs> (laughs) um yeah like that conveys the character very well and um can i I think it hits on the points you you mentioned the, the hypocrisy the savior complex all of that um and it feels very clearly like the confessor wants something from you they want you to confess your secrets and they're speaking to you very gently and trying to be very nice and also you're in a dark room full of torture implements so you know there there's some threat there
6: yeah and the thing is she doesn't see it as a as a violence to use these things she uses, she sees it as like this is just another form of of trying to create salvation um and I'll, I'll, what was really great about having the opportunity to write that kind of box text stuff um was to emphasize that this is a villain um who isn't going to just immediately be like ha, ha, these are my evil plans for all the things that I will do to you like she genuinely wants to have a conversation with the people that she is she is with but it's always with that underlying self-motivation of How do I purify you? How do I bring you into the fold? Not necessarily because she thinks she wants power, but at the end of the day, that is what it is. (laughs) She wants power. She wants salvation. She wants to feel like she is um, important in that
0: sense yeah the um i did want to point out because you did mention the uh the narrative text the box text uh we do have that available for all of our npcs we have like these conversational starters um we're going to expand the amount that we have in each dossier i believe um that'll be something that uh, i'm working with each of the writers to do uh once we finish writing the rest of the book and we're about two-thirds done or two-thirds turned in right now and um it's really something that we wanted to provide GMs just more tools to be able to use because you might not use all of the options, but you can, if you, if you miss on a couple and it doesn't really start a conversation or it doesn't really start a social interaction, you still have other things uh, left to try.
1: Uh, now I see we're, we're joined by Matt Duckett, I believe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Matt, if you'd like to speak, uh, we would love to have you introduce yourself and sure. just uh, talk a little bit about your work on the vineyard.
7: Sure. Can you hear me? Not coming through okay
0: i'm I'm not at home right now, so I'm trying to find a quiet
7: place to mm-hmm. to talk. I was just at a cafe doing some work um but yeah basically i'm I'm a freelance illustrator, and that's kind of what I'm doing here uh so far i've done um the hilltop district castle. I've done the an image for the rocks. Well, I've just done a, a couple of really exciting locations and I just, just keep waiting for the next briefs to come in. Cause there's just so much to illustrate. Uh,
1: now I haven't gotten to see a ton of the art yet. Like I've seen the art of the confessor. I've seen the art of the siren. I've seen the art of her majesty. Um, I, Friday, have you shared any of the art of like the, the setting or anything like that publicly yet?
0: Um. Yeah, I, well, I haven't. Um, so I'm gonna do that right now for the people that are here, and if you're just listening, I suppose then you can just go to our Kickstarter because by the time you listen to this, you uh, will see it. Um, but right now, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up uh, some of Matt's work first uh, since Matt's here. Uh, let me pull up. I'm gonna pull up Hilltop first, uh, and then I'll share my screen. And Hilltop is the uh, affluent. Um, Affluent district within the city that you can add, and it's a sort of a place where you can uh, meet people that are well removed from these sort of hardships that are imposed in the rest of the city. The way that we've written some of the districts is that it's uh, really structured like an oligarchy, uh, and that is really represented by the individuals uh, within Hilltop itself.
1: Let's see uh, now if I can give just a, a super brief visual description of what we're looking at. So it's this uh, beautiful, ostentatious house like on a cliffside. Uh, there's a waterfall right in front of it. There's birds flying around. It's sunny. It's nice. This looks like it could be like a vacation home or like a noble's estate or something cool like that. Um, so yeah, that definitely feels removed. The confessor, like that feels like a very different tone, different parts of town. Yeah. Yeah.
3: if, if, If I lived in a place that really sucked to live in and I had to look up at that every single day, I feel like I'd probably be building a bit of resentment as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Matt, did you want to talk about uh, sort of uh, what you had figured out and discussed with the art director, Elaine Ho, about uh, what uh, you both had come to agreement, how this was going to look and everything like that, if you want to speak to that, if you're in like a position to?
7: Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um... I guess the, the underlying principle was that it had to look, you know, classical painting. Um, we wanted to use those kind of color schemes, really warm, kind of rich yellows. <clears throat> I was kind of thinking as I was like finding sort of the camera angle, so to speak, I was, I was trying to find like it had to be shot from below, I think, to really like drive home that majesty. I like the idea that we're looking over the waterfall just to like, I mean, just to go over the top with the setting. It's like you almost couldn't just go view this beautiful waterfall. Without seeing somebody's huge building just built on top of it, you know, and we just of course wanted just a few people, kind of very nicely dressed, kind of milling about, um, no real sense of urgency. Uh, but, you know, it's just sort of that that shiny pass uh, uh, along the hill sort of aspect.
0: Cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna flip us to the next one uh, for the rock below painting. Did you want to speak okay. to this, Pat? Sure, sure. Yeah, that, this is a
7: great bit of storytelling. Um, I, uh, you know, we had to sort of combine a massive dragon skeleton, you know, these miners that are completely dwarfed by it and sort of their behavior, like what they're doing. Um, And it was a bit of like wrestling in the initial thumbnailing stage of like, how much do I reveal? This is sort of the moment when these miners discover this, this, you know, kind of gemstone and they're precariously sitting underneath this, the remains of this, this uh, Ruby serpent. And so... I wasn't sure how much to focus on either of those things. So we, you know, I kind of thumbnailed it from just every angle I could think of. There was somewhere there was like, you know, uh, um, stalactites and stalagmites that turned out to be dragon teeth and stuff like that. But in the end, I just wanted enough of sort of a looming presence just outside of that torchlight. You know, so that the dragon is present, but it's more like we, the viewers, are sort of in on the secret miners that are just distracted by having just uh, unearthed some of these gemstones.
1: Yeah, looking at the art here, like the the sense of scale feels massive. Like (laughs) when I first looked at it, it's like, okay, it's miners in a tunnel there's some stalagmites and like those look really big and some of them are kind of sideways. And like, as you look at the picture eventually you realize, Oh yeah, that is an
7: enormous skull. That is not a tunnel.
3: <laughs> like
7: <laughs> I, I, I even flipped it. Originally I had the, the dragon skull on the left and I thought, well, if we're sort of reading it left to right, I kind of want that to be more the punchline than the setup.
1: Yeah. I, I think you hit that. Like the, the first thing that drew me in was the person right in the middle underneath the torch holding the gem, even yeah. even looking at it in the kind of small window on Discord.
0: This is a cool piece. I like this. Yeah, and we have uh, a lot of other art uh, provided by uh, Yorsi who couldn't be here today. Um, but we have a lot of portraits and sort of painter style art. I remember when I first reached out to uh, Matt, I had found them actually through they did like a piece of Critical Role fan art I saw on Twitter. <laughs> And um, I reached out to Matt and I was like, hey, do you take freelance work? Uh, and we were trying to like capture some of these, uh, at least, you know, uh, tempt some of these really awesome painters that we have uh, in the community and tabletop. And Yorsi was another one of those uh, people uh, that I found who had done work on uh, with Betha Bard on She is the Ancient. And if you've seen the She is the Ancient cover on DM's Guild, you know, it's like very captivating just the way that uh, she is looking at uh, the camera and that's something that i wanted to really recreate for for our uh product here um let me okay let me switch windows here but like for uh ashlyn rovenna here uh who's meant to be you know the 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 head of the vineyard uh we wanted someone to have a very intense presence uh and someone that uh who like sort of commanded the space in addition to some of the other lieutenants that we have, like the Confessor and the Siren. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe this is the character
1: that's referred to as Her Majesty.
0: Uh their Majesty. So so their, their gender majesty. thank you. Yeah, they're they're gender fluid. Um so that we actually had a masculine and a feminine version of this uh character portrait done okay and are you
1: going to use both in the
0: adventure or are we sticking
1: yeah. with one of them Very yeah we cool. are
0: um yeah so uh, some of the preliminary sketches done by uh, Matt in fact for some of the uh, broader pieces that we're doing like we're we're looking at doing like a um, a before and after painting for uh, it, we're calling it the last Supper because it's sort of modeled after the Last Supper uh, that Matt has already sketched for and I'm I'm really excited to uh, potentially you know get to put that in the in the book and it's a little bit of a spoiler it's a it's a stretch goal but um all of the lieutenants initially like signing their contracts and then um the afters when they're more opulent and they're more rich and they're more like corrupted by the vineyard so there's like their most human form in the first one and then their advancement through the vineyard in the second one Um, so
1: i think uh from what i have gotten to see so far i believe The siren was one of the early previews for the vineyard, um, and she's depicted both in her her living form and her undead form, so you can Mm -hmm. transition with that character there. Um, Yeah. I have to imagine the transition for the other lieutenants,
0: similar? Um, for some of them, yeah. So the siren is one of those that we wanted. Um, this was uh, back before I had the wonderfully illustrious and incredibly uh, great at everything, uh, Elaine Ho, do, doing our art direction. So I was just kind of uh, fixated on, well, who do I want? Because um, this was this is a character written by Sarah Madsen. And I was thinking, who, who would I like to represent this sort of character? So I came like, with like a... Um, a rough uh character uh like sort of inspiration little mood board, and we found a uh, uh a plus size model that we based the siren uh, the siren on and uh yeah, we kind of went from there and Elaine sort of like brought that home and sort of uh you know made sure that the siren was uh, looking as uh beautiful and as ghastly as we wanted her to look in her two forms terrifying. <laughs>
2: I don't know. It looks like a friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of them does. Listen, looks dateable is is the real statement here.
0: I mean, you know, I mean, she doesn't look like she's a bottom. I would say, you know what I mean, like.
1: <laughs> so Friday, you mentioned that you've run the confessor scenario I think you said seven times now yeah yeah so how has that gone so far you mentioned that people like the confessor like are people usually choosing to fight her or people usually Playing along? Like, how's that playing out so far?
0: People come in, and initially, like, the whole encounter with the Confessor is really meant to be more of a social encounter. Um, I am, as I've run it, I've kind of forced the combat encounter at the end uh, with the NPC, but you have um, the choice to do that or not um, as the GM and how Roos reacts, because uh, Roos is the one that's summoned to the Tower of Atonement. And if uh, you choose to like not engage the party or whatever, and just run them through the rest of the tower. That's a perfectly acceptable option as well. If the party really would be against fighting, um, the confessor, and you know that as a GM, so, um, I do it because I need to play test it. <laughs> so they have to fight the confessor. Uh, but normally, like, there's that social interaction, and there's that like. And I found that, um, maybe about half. Of the characters will actually willingly give up their secret because they don't want to fight the confessor because they get the the big bad vibes from her. So
1: now are you playing the theme music when you run the
0: encounter? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, I am playing the theme music. So um, I actually do, uh, and you know, Nat developed this wonderful layer action called "I Speak." And after I say, you know, I, I use the confessor voice, and I I say I say the the title of it. I say I speak, and then I turn the music off, and then it's and then it describes the silence in the tower. So there's a lot of stuff that I found that um, I'm really excited about uh, integrating music and ambience and things like that into the whole vineyard experience for people to really enjoy
2: to add just a small clarification i didn't design that layer action whole cloth but when i came to it it was just a normal silence spell and i added that the confessor could still like act and speak through it and still be heard
0: vj vj in that
2: yeah being able
3: being able to speak through it really adds to the arrogance
0: yeah i think that i think that captures it
1: pretty nicely like adds to the the arrogance the savior complex like i i am clearly more important than you people yeah Yeah, i
4: really I, I just really wanted to like uplift that that being added to it, Nat, because I went back and saw it, and it was just like, man, that was that is such a great idea. Because the I like I I feel like I might have had the thread there, but I didn't follow it down the line far enough. Like I was like, okay, like just kind of like the silence kind of situation. Like I could imagine a religious figure that is that arrogant and just telling everybody to shut the hell up, and them having to listen, but. That extra thread of it, Mm. of allowing her to speak as well through all of it, just pulled the whole thing together.
2: You know, that was actually something that partially came from Serendipitous, partially came from Playtest, actually. Well, there was this lovely confluence moment where I was going over some of the editing and I was looking at more modern um, layer action write-ups and realized that now when they do them, they give the layer actions names when they used to not. So, I'm going through and naming the layer actions, and Friday at the same time happens to be running a playtest. And Friday's like, wait, we made her auto attack a spell, but her layer action makes silence, so she can't auto attack when she layer actions, which is why we playtest, you know, finding out things like that. That's exactly what we're trying to hope for. And it was just perfect confidence to be like, oh, I know exactly what this should be called. I know exactly what this should do. So it was really like a collective stroke of luck and collective effort. Yeah. Um, and uh, as
0: far as, and I have the confessor's uh, portrait art done by the wonderful Yorsi um, up now, but yeah, I think that a lot of the interactions that the confessor has are sort of interesting in that there's a lot of subversive actions that occur through the mechanics um, that cause the party each round of combat to reevaluate everything. And those lair actions do a really good job of making everyone reevaluate like what can I do and is this going to be effective and like what should I do? Because every lair action is so fundamentally different uh in the Confessor and then her actions and her reactions and the way like her legendary resistance works. That we we don't use legendary resistance, we use something slightly different. It's just a she damages herself. She flagellates herself with a cat of nine tails instead of failing anything um but yeah there's there's a lot of fun interactions that i found um i've been having a lot of fun running uh the confessor and casting blade barrier turn one and uh just walking up to people (laughs) and uh just waiting for them to you know have forcing them to enter the blade barrier in a lot of cases um and, and get that damage and it's like it I just did that to the last party I ran today, and I basically just, like, crippled their whole party in the first turn. But, I mean, like, there's a lot of nasty stuff. And, the like, there's a lot of interesting interactions with the spells and the reactions that uh, uh, the team has created here, the designers. So, um, I, it's a very fun step block to run.
2: My my favorite dirty little trick is um, it's a little unassuming. It's easy for a miss. For G- it's easy for a GM to miss. Unfortunately, is you use a layer action, not a layer action. Use a legendary action to cast the at will spell Distant Whispers, and then when they run away, that lets her opportunity attack with a spell using Divine Province. So it's like legendary action, Distant Whispers, run away. There's a and the mythic actions are also.
0: Um... I popped that on a couple of uh, parties that ended up uh, reaching the second form of the Confessor. And those were those were, you know, barn burners, Um, but they're kind of meant to be. Uh, The Confessor is written as a CR 21. You're not meant to probably fight her and win at level 11. So um, this is in a lot of ways, I think, meant to be a narrative introduction to the Confessor for a lot of tables. Uh, And then eventually, like you can work up to fighting and beating her at one point at some point eventually.
2: And I think the um, the mythic action, the mythic structure works v- extremely well for the structure we have her, uh, for the role we have her playing in this adventure structure where you fight her, but you're not supposed to beat her. So it, it sets a cutoff point where the party is like, we're striving so hard, we're working so hard. Oh, and now we popped her second half and now she's stronger? <laughs> okay, maybe we're in over our heads. It sends a signal where normally it's hard to get the players to choose their moment to turn and run.
0: And it's, uh, it's definitely up to whatever GM, how they'd like to run the confessor as far as that goes and how far they go. Um, but I think a lot of the inherent like uh, motivations of the confessor really limit her to like, she's going to get some secrets, then she's got shit to do like she's got she's got other appointments um and she pieces out after a little while and we i actually put it in bold red in our layout i don't know how it's going to come out layout we're almost done with layout um (laughs) but uh i'm i'm probably going to ask for it to be left in bold red like the confessor is not trying to kill the party um for that reason it's just meant to to set the scene if you will for play with the vineyard
1: now have you considered adding like notes on the tactics with the snap blocks like the confessor especially the Stat block is pretty complicated. There's a lot of buttons to press, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of interactions that, that might not be immediately obvious to dungeon masters. So, ha- have you considered adding t- tips on how to run the stat block?
0: Um, that's a really good suggestion. I had not considered that, but now I'm considering it. So, yes,
2: <laughs> <That's> something a <laughs> uh, t- we- little bit of thought into because a little yeah. bit of uh, tactical advice, particularly. For newer GMs at high level, because like who doesn't go? Oh, let's try a level. Let's hear, Let's try a level twenty one shot, and then you realize how much harder it is to do everything at level twenty. Um But at this stage, where we're at, that would be something that if we added would have to be in the full release, not for the playtest packet for L oh, as a Kickstarter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah considering,
1: considering the playtest comes out tomorrow, yeah, it would be a, it would be a little <laughs> difficult to uh ask for changes at this stage.
0: Yeah, we're definitely um we're we're gonna be altering things to. Uh, perhaps add a little bit more. Um, there's some things that I didn't have quite enough time um, in my writing to add more to in some of the levels in the Tower of Atonement. that I'm interested in adding more options because um, I do want to provide a breadth of options for each of the uh, Tower of Floors. As written, the Tower of Atonement is probably a two-session um, thing where like just the Confessor part is like one whole session, and then um, the rest of the Tower is another whole session. But I'm considering perhaps like just adding some more Encounters and or or content for people to interact with each tower um right now it's kind of uh it's just meant to like fit like in two separate one shots pretty much right now. So would
3: it would it make sense to stop and talk a little bit about the timeline for the Kickstarter and for the product?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh what questions do you have about that?
3: Um what's the timeline for the Kickstarter and the product? <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> kidding, of course. Um but yeah, uh on, on what time frame? So the Kickstarter starts very soon.
0: Yeah, April third at uh eight AM Pacific. Uh and then it will be uh done at May first, uh midnight. So both Mondays. So you get uh, the two months in case you want to wait for the next payday or you want to hit us on the back end um, in order to commit. Um, I will say that in the first 24 hours, we have early bird specials uh, in which you're going to save a a ton of money for yourself um, and you're going to get a lot more for for your dollar. Uh, Any little bit helps, though. So I don't necessarily uh, want you to have to wait uh, until the second day. That'd be good if you have pledged in the first 24 hours, to be quite honest. But yeah.
3: Awesome. And then from there, do you have a timeline for the product? Like, when will folks get um, you know get get copies digitally in hand? When will folks get copies in hand in general?
0: So that's a uh, um, that's an ambiguous question that I or I'm going to give you an ambiguous answer that I cannot necessarily uh, pinpoint because we are going to be around the same timeline as uh, Project Black Flag, uh, and they have not announced uh, their dates. So, but uh, we are thinking no later than April of next year, just one year from today. Uh, We're hoping to do it sooner. It really just depends on when we can make it work with Kobo Press and the release of their core book for Project Black Flag. Uh, Because our book is going to be compatible with both. And we want to make sure that we hit everything uh, that they're going to be including, and then also make good design decisions to include both.
3: Cool. All right. Thank you for that. I appreciate it.
0: Let's see. So we, we've we talked about the Tower of Atonement as the the kind of demo
1: adventure that's dropping with the Kickstarter. For, p- for people who haven't read it already, which I'm going to assume is going to be most of the people listening to this later, um, what are they getting in that preview adventure?
0: So the preview adventure is set up uh, to be sort of a just pick it up and use it uh you're going to want to read the dossier of the confessor written by our wonderful kina shaw here um that's up front on the packet uh the packet is going to be i believe 36 pages uh maybe a little bit more maybe a little bit less uh it's going to include about 30 pages of content and then about five it's going to have five uh, vtt maps and an exterior piece of art for the tower itself we are also posting within the Kickstarter page the, uh, Confessor theme song and the Confessor battle track, um, done by, uh, Dungeon Dad, if you watch Dungeon Dad on YouTube, uh, who does some d type videos, uh, under, it's under his YouTube, uh, Chill Touch, but, uh, yeah, he's our composer for the, uh, for the project. Um, so you're getting that, and then, uh, there's the adventure itself, um, and the step blocks and the layers and everything to go with that. Uh, we are having tokens made. Um, they didn't quite meet the timeline, uh, for the release though, but we will have tokens for all of the enemies. Um, and we're going to be adding more art to this part of the book, um, for the final product. But we just, I just honestly couldn't afford to do more art for this part of the product at this point. Um,
2: and uh one more thing also sorry my power died so if i sound way worse now i'm sorry i'm on phone now um there's also two magic items just to toss it out there
0: the two magic items they're pretty cool
4: um i can talk about those a little bit uh yeah no so uh friday if you if you can i are we planning on potentially doing more as a stretch goal
0: um i think yeah i mean that's that's uh i think that's yeah, I think I'm I'm open to like more duff. Uh I just it really just depends on where we end up, so maybe. Then maybe is my official answer. Okay,
4: maybe answer Um yeah, no, so when uh so in the conceptual in in when we were conceptualizing the uh the Guardian of Greed, which was a lot of fun, I love uh all I could think about when making it was um the lair at least you know you know when you get when you that part in aladdin when they get into like the 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 genie not the genie's board inside of that the huge mountain of like gold and and treasure and whatnot i was like man that is such a fun like wild scene to look on like i remember looking at it as a kid and was just like my eyes bugging out and just like wow that's a lot of stuff and just imagining the players having the same reaction we were trying to figure out how do we entice the players into like Taking things and whatnot, and I'm a I'm a when it when it comes to like enticing players to do things, I'm a big fan of like at least in my home games where I know my players a little bit better. Uh, just putting these very individualized things that like oh I know that you want like your greatest wish in the world is to find this, like, little powerful little gothic eye or something. So I'm just going to dangle this in front of your face as much as possible. Um, And so in designing these two things, it was like, okay, there are a lot of, like, magic items that are kind of – What's the word? They're useful for regardless of what class you're in. Uh, so, like plus one armor of different types can be good for wizards, warlocks, like anybody that can actually, especially if it allows them to wear the armor. But it was very much like a. I really wanted them to be um, like if you if you have a rogue in the party, uh, and you see and you put this in front of their face, they can clearly see. Oh, this is this is for me. Or if you have a rogue and a fighter, and maybe it turns into a situation of which one of us is going to get it. And uh like enhances kind of like that greed motivator right there. But the the two items in and of themselves are generic enough so that any like martial class for the uh warrior-based one can pick it up and use it and it'd be very useful. And same with the um with the wand. Uh although if we do get to do more, I I really wanna like dig into making more class specific ones that like potentially play off of um different class abilities for people and whatnot not just like the generic oh here's a wizard one because it gives you a couple of spells no this empowers your like arcane recovery or something
1: that definitely feels on theme for the uh the guardian of greed (laughs) so where does uh, where does the tower of atonement fit into the broader adventure like the the demo adventure is being published as kind of a preview for the Kickstarter. Um, in the full, the full product, is this going to be like the intro to the setting? Is this going to be somewhere in the middle? Like where does it fit?
0: So, uh, typically, most parties don't start at Tier 3. So, (laughs) this is a Tier 3 adventure, so 11 to 15, um, and uh, we sort of wanted to represent the adventure that was going to be the most striking to, like, sort of be a very good motivator for, like, the rest of play, because we find that... Most parties, when they they have a setting book, they'll take it all the way to, like, level 9, level 10. I've run out of stuff to do. So we wanted to provide something for, like, the next level, and providing that sort of uh, opportunity for a party to interact with directly and engage with, uh, perhaps negatively, with the Confessor was really important to the team. For our sort of setup and our setting book, um, we do not have any other adventures in the initial Vineyard RPG written. Um, It's all going to be scenario hooks and plot hooks and tools stab blocks layers um that are going to be available for people to use because of scope uh, i had to split off all the other adventures that we have planned to a separate kickstarter (laughs) so that'll be another project uh that we are looking at doing in the near future um but yeah so uh for right now it is the only official like adventure but you should have all of the tools available within the setting book to craft more adventures uh just based on all of the, the. Various things we can provide you mechanically and narratively.
2: Also, a small note here, but might be a Tier 3 adventure. But I would comfortably run this for a party of level 7s if my table was... Like, I knew them well, and they were optimized. Like, they could do it. I believe in them.
0: I would crush them, Nat. I would crush them so hard. I've been destroying <laughs> these level 11 parties.
2: Well, yeah, yeah, but P- Friday, all your players are, are, like, you know, foppish role players. I love that. Oh, wow. Like, wow. <laughs> what is this slander? Jeez. What is this slander? Hey. For, for, we talk about this every week, because of the way I advertise, I get all the grognards. Because of the way you advertise, you get, you, you know, you get all the role players and the people who know how to have fun.
0: <laughs> foppish hey. people are more fun, okay? They, so
2: they I are. I would rather have your players than mine
1: (laughs) i've got to say looking at the uh the stat block for the confessor uh i don't know if the level seven points to last very long against the confessor
2: you got to remember that that's a fight that they can lose so the only fight that they have to do are against the guardians that's a fight they can actually avoid entirely so i'm not thinking about a party that can beat the confessor i'm thinking about you know you got your sharpshooter battle master and you know you got your chronergy wizard like can they beat the guardians of of greed wrath and lust and like yeah they can particularly if they're like a party of six or seven
0: yeah i that a, yeah there's a <laughs> there's a few limitations i would say on the guardians as opposed to the confessor because they do have lair actions but none of them have like a uh, big beefy like legendary resistance to burn through um i think one has uh if i remember correctly i haven't looked at the stat block in a little bit but um one of them has uh you know some semblance of that but it's not like nearly as powerful so there's there's some limitations to the other guardians that you can potentially work through like Nat was saying for sure.
2: Yeah they're they're not built like solos the same way the Confessor is. They you can leverage overwhelming them with action economy in a way that you can't with the Confessor.
0: Yeah. And unless the Confessor overwhelms their uh their hearts, you know what I mean? Like they're just <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, and also, this a it would be a dangerous adventure because if the party gets a little foolhardy and goes, "Yeah, we can take her down," and then they drop everything and they confess her, and then she regains all her, you know, three hundred hit points and casts harm on all of them, and then they crawl away with their tails between their legs, then they probably don't have a, the gas in the tank to do the rest of it. But you can signal those things as a DM if uh, you know your players.
4: Yeah, and I I think um Pers- persona is probably the only one like that might be able to, like, still talking on the, like, a group of optimized 7th level players could probably take on these Guardians. Uh, I think Persona's the only one that's got kind of, like, that, um, that has, like, the blurred visage, which just gives mm-hmm. disadvantage on all attacks. Um, so, has a little bit of that going on, but, like, That only does so much, right, too? Like, eventually, the overwhelming numbers will overwhelm them.
2: Also, notably, Persona is the only one that you can theoretically sneak past. The other two have, like, senses that'll beat something like invisibility. But Mm. you get some good stealth checks. You can sneak past Persona. Yeah.
1: All the players out there, write that down.
2: (laughs) Oh, Oh, no, um, we've been rumbled.
0: (laughs) uh, You've exposed us. Um, So I did want to bring Dave back in uh, and just formulate a question to sort of help answer as well about forming campaigns. And one of the things that me and Dave worked on uh, was the history of the vineyard and sort of including these, uh, events and these rumor charts and these, uh, it's a storied history with the vineyard and you only have to include so much, some of which you can create a campaign out of. Um, if Dave, you want to talk about a couple of the, uh, the plot, the plot seeds that you have written for us.
5: Sure. Yeah. Um, it was interesting because you were talking about, you know, like the, the ability to just lift stuff out of the book, uh, for the book to be useful for any level of like, uh, sort of user involvement. Um, and that was a big challenge when, um, I was asked to write some of the, the sort of the history of the, the vineyard is like, oh, yeah, I can do lots of big background text. I can write paragraphs and paragraphs that will go at the start of the book, which players will probably just skip past. But no, I was the, the brief I got given was you got to give every page. Every paragraph needs to be something that can be used on its own. It can be a resource that can be lifted out and then put to use uh, by a, uh, ill prepared DM, such as myself, I'm quite used to that situation where I'm like, oh crap, I've got a session later on. I need to find a good hook. And so having everything be a hook or, or be something that could be, um, put forward, uh, really did shape the way that I, I approached it. And, It did come up with uh, trying to come up with certain uh, events from the history of the vineyard that could be used uh, to build a campaign around or just a single adventure, for example. Um, There was some stuff about how the the, the vineyard were trying to monopolize on on necromancy, you know, trying to spread distrust and fear of... uh, the use of that particular school of magic in one particular way that they brought that about is by sort of uh training debased forms of undead such as ghouls and, you know, just leaking out just a little bit of the knowledge about how to create um how to imbue Gulden or, or raise the dead. Just the just the right amount of uh knowledge in untrained necromancers to create horrible outbreaks and plagues of these uh flesh eating uh, monstrosities that would obviously strike fear into the the hearts of the people in the lower levels of the city who would have to deal with them and then who comes out of the shadows uh, with the solution to the whole problem Uh, the vineyard of course and you know this these sort of uh, patterns done in such a way as to be accessible to you know start beginning and end can be lifted out of the the history and then placed into the hands of the dm and and used to sort of drive a uh...
1: now have any of you tried using characters from the vineyard in like a published campaign or something. Um, since the, since the villains are built to be used, um independent of the vineyard itself like uh yeah have you dropped it into another game
0: i have um i have used uh the siren for one shots great for that um the dossiers actually kind of function as one shots if you want them to or uh, a larger campaign so everything within the dossier which is anywhere from like five to ten pages depending on which one you're looking at um will have these sort of central tension ideas and these situation hooks and for uh the siren in particular uh some of of their hooks are revolving around the fact that they're a collector for the vineyard, so you can easily set up a scenario where uh, the party is invited to one of the shows of the Siren, and then the Siren reaps them, uh, and that's how they meet the Siren, and then they they're just in this crowd of people who all owe debts to the vineyard, and then that's the start of the adventure right there. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that we plan to, uh, like Dave said, like you look at it, you can just quickly like within you know, an hour or two of prep perhaps for like some of the more complicated stuff, Um, really just form the entire session. And then if the players enjoy it, then you just continue. You just keep working on the additional tools that you'll find within the stuff available. A lot of our villains are set up to be introduced in a way that's not going to be deadly to the party at first so that they will interact with that uh, person again. So a lot of the villains are looking to collect for the vineyard and it doesn't necessarily have to be the party that first, Time it could be somebody else, and they can just witness that, or they can hear rumors about this lieutenant and such and such, and then go from there.
4: Um, so I've put them. I've put them in my game, but not in a place where the players have run into them yet. Um, I, I run this uh, Curse of Strahd slash She is the Ancient meets Spelljammer campaign, and like the like the actual BBG that they're going to have to, to get you know get rid of at some point to get out of this Spelljammer domain of dread. Um, it's just kind of playing with uh, her food and just kind of hanging out. And there are other powers growing stronger in this domain that she like knows exists, But She's like, I don't really care. You know, kind of on that apathy level of things that the players will soon, quote unquote, soon get to interact with like all of the Vineyard people. Um, and so that being said, have scaled them down slightly for when they meet them since they're at they're not quite at that like all powerful place yet. But I'm I'm really excited the second the players get to like interact with any of these guys.
0: I'm really excited about a Strahd campaign with these villains in it, because these villains are perfect for a Strahd campaign. And I say that as someone who has run ten campaigns of Strahd last year. <laughs> um, and I will never again. However, <laughs> um, you know, they're really good for Strahd.
2: Uh, I also have you, I pulled one of the Guardian stat blocks because I had a, you know, minor capitalist Guardian of Greed too perfect not to a little playtesting in with. But that was, that was just a small little cameo.
0: Could you say that again? Because uh, you just cut out for all of the information in that sense.
2: <laughs> Sorry, uh, things are hairy on this end. I should probably stop trying to talk. Um, but I, I took the Guardian of Greed in for, to guard the horde of my uh you know billionaire capitalist villain in one of my campaigns and you know gave us a little bit of playtesting fun it was nice didn't really resist
1: so we we've talked about a bunch of the lieutenants we've talked about the siren the confessor are we allowed to know the names of the other rules or are those being kept hush hush
0: um yeah i think it's okay uh to know let me um and some of these are might change i'm uh not at liberty to say some of them because they're still being uh, developed, but let me let me pull it up real quick because I didn't I foolishly did not have it open. Uh, here we go. So we have uh, Ashlyn, the confessor. We have the solicitor general. The solicitor general is on our cover art. You'll see it's the right it's the person as you're looking at it on the far right uh, to the left of Ashland. Um, that cover art I guess I'll share right here. Uh, let me share screen real quick while I'm talking about this. Boop boop boop. And you'll see the cover art on the Kickstarter page for those listening. Yeah, we have the uh, we have the confessor here um, on the left, and then we have Ashlyn Ravenna, and then we have the Solicitor General. The Solicitor General is uh, the person that essentially does all the negotiation for the contracts and stuff, and is like kind of the boss who sends out their minions to like uh, make deals and stuff, and keeps track of everyone's debts. Um, so <laughs> he's the negotiator for the Vineyard. Um, the party mayor may not encounter the Solicitor General, but is also one of those like sort of high ranking people. Uh, within the vineyard you can tell because he's mostly undead but (laughs) uh, (laughs) just mostly undead yeah 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 i won't talk about it well i mean like the uh the thing that we've said in a previous AMA, which is i think okay to share um one of the cool things about one of his mechanics that we had devised sort of conceptually was that he's going to be able to declare a law and that law must be obeyed um so he could say for instance no weapon shall cut me and therefore all slashing weapons will not have effect uh that day um so then players have to kind of work around that because with the way that we have the contract system we are sort of presenting like hey this is very constricting there's obviously a big cost for whatever you wrote the contract for whether it be it it, it have been like you wanted diamonds and you needed diamonds and you needed resurrection diamonds or whatever and then or you wanted money or you owed the vineyard to debt, so they make you uh sign a contract or they kind of encourage you to sign a contract. Um, to owe them something. Um, We want there to be a way to uh, slip out if you're good at weaseling away. Um, But then also we want there to be like, you got to kind of figure it out. And we're developing a section for the contracts that's going to allow people to develop their own. We're going to provide boilerplate contracts for everyone. Um, Legal Kimchi and I are going to write the section of like, hey, here's how you develop contracts. And here's your considerations as a GM when you develop these for your players. Because we want these to be easy enough for a GM to think about it for a little while and then be able to write contracts for uh each individual situation that can be fun but then also uh a little bit oppressive but not so oppressive that they're gonna like it's just not gonna be fun for the party to play anymore and you gotta provide a loophole as well and that'll be part of like our section on how we're uh, figuring out like you have to have at least one known loophole on your end maybe the players find another loophole that you'll adjudicate as a good loophole so i got on a tangent you wanted to know about other lieutenants <laughs> that was solicitor general we have uh verity fiducia written by uh sebastian ua um and verity is the editor-in-chief of the grapevine which is the propaganda newspaper of the vineyard so yeah they're super cool and i'm super excited for uh for them to, to be read about um, and to be experienced at the table. Um, we have The Power, written by our wonderful Dave here. Um, we talked about that a little briefly. Uh, we have uh, The Surgeon, also known as The Arms Dealer. Um, the Surgeon is written by uh, Chelsea Dot Steverson. Um, little Little Red Dot um, works for Cobalt Press as their marketing director right now. And uh, the surgeon is someone who has a double identity and they work uh, against the vineyard a little bit. Uh, they are sort of there because they had their arm twisted or essentially they had the vineyard had leverage on them. So they begrudgingly work for the vineyard. And that's the case of some of these lieutenants. They, no one is as, uh, I guess, stalwart and uh, loyal as the confessor and the solicitor general. Everyone else on their roster has like their own motivations and maybe swayed to uh, either join the party or have a different interaction than just like going up to stomp the party. In the surgeon's case, um, this is a person who interacts with the dark market a lot, which is a free trade area. It functions much like a black market in real life um, and they trade diamonds that are not authorized by the vineyard. uh, So they're a natural enemy of the vineyard. And what the surgeon does is it's sort of like a mixture of a few different things but one of the major inspirations was uh the what do you call the doc the ripper docs in uh, cyberpunk uh what they do is they remove limbs that have been infected with what we call the wasting sickness the uh the rot um and that is a basic the cosmic horror of space but it is beneath the city within the guts um the Guts are a subterranean location underneath the city uh, that is filled with magical darkness and also very magical dangers. Um, and it also has a lot of treasures in it as well. So a lot of ancient artifacts and things like that. But there's also the, uh, the danger of like uh, this sort of like wasting sickness that will change your character fundamentally.
1: I think you've talked about the arms dealer in the dark market on uh, dollars and dragons a couple of times.
0: If I remember correctly, isn't there
1: like there's some mechanic around the, like the rotted limbs actually being weaponized in some way.
0: Yes. So that is why the surgeon is also called the arms dealer because they literally uh, deal in arms that have uh, wasting sickness in them that have some magical property. And you can, if you would like um, sort of outfit yourself Uh, with limb replacements that have like sort of magical properties um, and they do come with a cost Um, harnessing uh, the the shadow points as we're going to have like this system where you it's a give and take between the gm and every time you try and harness uh shadow points or harness the uh the wasting sickness or from the rot um you are going to be essentially like building up your successes on your end but then you're giving the gm dice to do stuff with
1: interesting and like what would what would be the benefits to a player for one of these arms, just as an example?
0: So it's going to be a powerful magical uh, attack or ability or skill or something like that. Um, and the downside is that you're attracting more of the rot into your location and you're infecting the location and potentially bringing very present dangers into the scenario. So it sounds like, uh all right, try that again. Um.
1: So how many lieutenants are there? We've gone the confessor, the solicitor general, they've talked about the siren, the surgeon Slash arms dealer. So there's four there. Like what's the what's the total count?
0: So there's gonna be Ashlyn, and then there's gonna be eight lieutenants, and then we'll probably add more for the next book. So
1: All
0: right. uh, yeah. <laughs> so the so you're already planning book number two? Uh yeah, yeah. Uh my co-creator is Kenna Shaw. All right. Say hi. Say hi, Kina. <laughs>
6: Hello again. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> and I have been discussing the second book. so that should be that should be a fun thing, hopefully.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're looking at it in an adventure book um, just because we wanted the core book to sort of stand on its own and be useful to people. Uh, and then the next thing is that if you have a core audience who really likes what you have out there, then the natural natural consequences like let's make an adventure book. Um, and me and Kiana are sort of discussing it right now. But obviously we need to get through this Kickstarter with everyone's support first, and then we can look at uh, budgeting for the adventure book in the near future. All right. So I'm, I'm going to ask kind of a silly question on this one.
1: So we, the book is called The Vineyard. The organization is called The Vineyard. Is there an... Is there an actual vineyard, like, any <laughs> um, wine making in here?
0: What's up? Um, no, uh, some of actually some of the um, some of the interesting magical items and other things written by uh, Megan Garner uh, of Describe uh, our partner for some of our narrative texts that we're going to be adding to the book actually it does involve wine, uh, but I won't spoil that. You can go to describe and look at the vineyard collection to see that. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so there is officially no vineyard. The vineyard itself is sort of, um, I'm not sure what you would call that. Isn't it an allegory? They harvest people.
1: Uh, now, do they call themselves the vineyard? That's how okay. they're known, yeah. <laughs> so they came up with this name in, like, in world, presumably because they harvest people. All right. <laughs> so uh, we've kind of danced around it a little bit. What can you tell us about the
0: I got a pause from you, Tyler. You cut off there?
1: Uh so we've danced around this one a little bit, but what can you tell us about their majesty?
0: So Ashlyn uh Ravenna is something that I started thinking about um right when I was like about to come out, I think. <laughs> to be quite honest. in uh I was thinking about um, you know, what's the most Trans character that I could play and or I could you know play I was the GM this was from my setting so I was interested in um, succubus and incubus lore so Aslan Ravenna is someone that evolved uh, in the guts. Um, the magical darkness and had encountered a bunch of people uh, mostly wizards who were seeking lichdom and a lot of them were beginning to trade their secrets with ashlyn ravenna and after a certain amount of time because of the uh, amount of secrets that she was gathering uh or they were gathering as a succubus and an incubus um they ended up sort of coalescing into the new the new cycle of the Undead God of Secrets. And that is who Ashlyn Ravenna is. So there's two fronts to Ashlyn Ravenna. There's the Ashlyn Ravenna that everybody hears rumors about. And then there's the Wandering Mother. And the Wandering Mother is more of like a a figurehead of the whisperborn themselves um currently as it works whenever a secret is shared with a loyalist or someone who is able to collect a secret um that secret becomes a physical form and the secret is wiped from the memory of the person who told it um when the confessor takes secrets and if you've looked at the uh the stat block Mm -hmm. um or not the stat block but like the narrative tone whenever the confessor takes secrets um it just comes out uncelestial in like a piece of parchment. So, that piece of parchment, that secret, when it's handed over to uh, one of the clerics of the Whisperborn, um, of the Wandering Mother, you can place it into the bonfire in order to create another Whisperborn. And the Whisperborn is uh, a lineage that. You can play; it'll be a player option, um, and that's what uh, the confessor is. You'll see that uh, she has the flame in the center of her chest, just like Born do.
1: So, tell us a little bit more about the whisperborn. So, they're a they're a new lineage. They're born from secrets. How does that how does that affect them as a creature? Like you're you're born from a secret. Do you know the secret? Can you use the secret in any way?
0: Yeah, so um, the secret itself is basically the life force that sort of tethers together the Whisperborn. This was actually written by Kiana Shaw, who had to just uh, step out, but like the Whisperborn were also conceived by um, Kiana Shaw. So shout out to Kiana. But um, basically, if the secret is ever spoken out loud and it no longer becomes a secret, then that Whisperborn is unraveled. Um, and we're looking at some player options for resurrection and how there's just going to be maybe an additional step for Whisperborn in that re- in that regard because it would be kind of perhaps just a little unfun if like we just erased your character on accident at a table or something like that. But I think that's a fun element of the mechanics that we can sort of embrace about secrets in that there's both narrative and mechanical options as we're going to have for all secrets and not just for Whisperborn. The secrets are going to function in a way that we want to give them a, a wide breadth of opportunity for. And um, also leverage political power, currency. Um, you can trade the vineyard for secrets, um, that sort of thing. So Nat, did you have something to say about that?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, so I did a mechanization for the Whisperborn for 5e before some things changed. So that was an interesting challenge to try to run at because we, wanted, we were really strong on this idea, like, if this secret gets said somewhere, you die. But it did end up getting softened, at least in its current incarnation a little bit, because now another player character can offer a new secret to replace it, to keep you alive. And they would forget that, whatever they share. So it's the opportunity to create this really dramatic roleplay moment, and also conveniently... Uh, enable that character to not just die as a roleplay consequence and in that scenario that secret would take the place of a um, material component for a resurrection spell or supplement it.
1: Now do the secrets that create the Whisperborn have to meet any criteria? Could it could it be some like really really small mundane secret like where I hide candy from my kids or does it have to be something serious?
0: I think for most of our secrets we are focused on um, these sort of soft and sliding scale and this is going to depend on your table um and this is totally up to the table if you want to if you want to yeah. include petty secrets in your game i mean sometimes that can be fun i can think of a lot of ways that could be fun um but the way that we're writing a lot of it is sort of focused on the more uh the more damaging secrets let's call them quote-unquote damaging um because a lot of what the vineyard as an rpg is centered around is political uh intrigue and we want for secrets to be a fun plot element and not just something that's held against the players. Uh, we want players to be involved in the secrets and how plots are formed and like being interested in finding out what a secret is. Uh, and that's what we're going to try and do when we formulate a lot of these mechanics around secrets. For the most part, we're going to have both narrative and mechanical options for secrets, and you can choose to use either. Uh, that's what we're really focused on is like creating like those really dramatic political intrigue-type secrets and then If you want some, like you know, just some funny light secrets. That's okay too. Uh, But that's not what we're going to focus putting in the book.
2: Giving up a a secret to resurrect your friend might actually involve giving up like a mechanic you have, not just, uh, you know, where you hide your candy from your kids. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I I really like this idea of like mirroring, mirroring the idea of confession that I, I give up this secret, I lose it. And so if this is something that's been weighing on me, uh, I can feel better about life because I've actually lost this thing that has been taken away from me um, and is going to be used to create a whisper born however if it was something that uh, treasured secret something that was important to me and it's still drawn for me then i'm, I'm losing i want to ask the question how spicy is the secret that made the confessor
0: uh it's the spiciest um <laughs> it's the it's the spiciest secret you've ever heard um you know there may or may not be in my mind, a, uh, you know, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say, I'm, you know.
2: Okay. Well, I'm excited. I mean, it,
0: there's, I, I there's think... an adventure. There's an adventure I have planned for that. Actually, the confessor's secret, but.
2: I think we should do the, like, Aberon morning. uh answer where we, we have like a sidebar with like four or five different rumors yeah and not have a canonical answer
0: yeah i mean that's possible too i think um so, sort of the beauty of it as well is like you can sort of flex on what's most fun for your table and that's really what we're trying to do with this supplement and providing a lot of the gm tools and also providing a lot of different options is that no two tables play the same way so if you are more interested in All the secrets except for the lust, then you can just not include those in the game. Um, And then, you know, you can play the way that you would like to play. So I know in
1: a lot of adventures and setting books and stuff like this, creators frequently like to uh, consider one of the characters included as sort of a self-insert for themselves. Like, uh, Ed Greenwood famously goes by Elminster, uh, his, his Twitter handle his Twitter handle is Elminster himself, mm-hmm. so he sees Elminster as his own persona within the Forgotten Realms setting. Uh, does everybody on the team have kind of a self-insert <laughs> within the video? <laughs>
0: um... I mean, mine's mine's wishful thinking, but obviously, mine's Ash Ravenna. Like, it makes sense.
2: As sure. of yet, I've so, actually uh, only done a uh, like developmental work on other people's designs. So, as of yet, no.
4: And the stat blocks that I've worked on have been <laughs> Ashlyn and uh, the Confessor. Um, I don't know. I guess no, not really. <laughs>
0: Dave, did you want to be a fungus? Is that what you're gonna say?
5: <laughs> I would say I'm not sure if I've quite reached the, the heights of a undead sentient disease, but you know, I'm working on it.
0: <laughs> it's but goals, right? Goals. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, we have a uh we have a couple that we didn't talk about that we didn't uh get too far into um because they're they're just still in the developmental stage and we'll be completing them post-Kickstarter. But uh, Nordin Ali-Kadir is developing an NPC, and as is uh, Bashir Gauss.
2: For the record, I don't think Legal Kimchi would uh, consider Solicitor General a uh, soft insert, just knowing him pretty well as a friend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I've been thinking about whether or not I'm asking uh, Kimchi to do the voiceover for the Solicitor General, because I think he'd be perfect. He has that silky smooth YouTuber voice, so like, yeah, oh, I think Oh, please I do. Please do. I, I have
2: a hired I idea. I put him on to fall asleep to sometimes.
1: <laughs> uh, so i i think that might be a new tidbit so you've you've talked about uh there's going to be a soundtrack um is there going to be like voiceover stuff for the character so you can have voiced lines
0: yeah. So some of this stuff is uh hush, hush, uh, don't post about it anywhere, but if you're listening to this, AMA, you <laughs> can know, um, some of that stuff is stretch goals. So, um, yeah, in order for me to afford, uh, to pay people properly, uh, which is very important to my team, um, I would need to, uh, we, we need to bust some of these stretch goals in order to reach like the VO pack and the, uh, the soundtrack. Um, but yeah, these are things that we've already done some work towards and some of the people that we have lined up, um, I have uh for Ashlyn Ravenna it is uh Gabe Hicks and uh Jasmine Bueller and for uh the confessor it is uh Pooja. Um I don't know how to pronounce uh, her last name otherwise I would try. Do you know Vijay? No. Sorry I do. And and my brain was like nope. I I do, <laughs> but I cannot. Actually funny fun fun fact I found this out like a while ago and I was just like no fucking way, but um actually Pooja and uh Kimchi are related. Uh like cousins or something like <laughs> yeah i found that out at, like kind of after the fact because it was it was weird like they kind of exist in the ttrpg and like separately
1: but very talented family well i think i've been uh monopolizing a lot of the questions folks in the chat uh if you have any questions just um, put them in the voice chat and we'll call them out when you're ready um in in the meantime so the the solicitor general um I want to ask about that mechanic for like declaring a law and then that becomes truth for the day, like Friday. I think the example you used was um, the Solicitor General could declare that they couldn't be cut and they become immune to slashing weapons. How far does that reach? Is that like a thing that they only do in fights, or could they wake up? No one's allowed to wear shoes. <laughs>
0: um that's a discussion for me and nat to have uh so while we're developing yep. that i know nat knows about it conceptually but we haven't we haven't quite wrangled how the mechanics are going to work do you have thoughts on that yeah now?
2: it's actually funny because every time you mentioned i just kind of look at the sky and go how am i gonna write that <laughs> um <laughs> but i my starting point is definitely uh, Isperia, the supreme judge from the ravnica good master god ravnica book has the ability where she can declare a type of action like attack, cast a spell, use an object that the players cannot use, and I feel like that like is the big brain kind of starting point to start to ground that in the mechanics. By the way, Ravnica and Eberron, those books have great monsters if you're a GM. Go loot them for other adventures.
1: <laughs> now, I if I remember right, there's a first edition Pathfinder spell called Prohibition that does something similar. So, you know, another place
0: to steal and steal inspiration from.
2: I I will 100% look that up at some point.
0: He's not he's not lying like he does. He has an encyclopedic (laughs) knowledge of like books and like, oh, my gosh, it's ridiculous. It's like I can ask Nat, like, hey, how does this ability work? And then Nat like looks up for a minute and is like, here's how it works because of this precedent set by this book written in 2017. (laughs) That is a useful skill.
2: I I don't have the dates (laughs) memorized, but like, yeah, yeah i'm the i'm the kind of gm where like if a player is trying to look at their character sheet for what their bonus is on their attack roll i'll just tell them because it's already lodged itself into my brain it's eerie
0: it's really eerie it's frightening
1: so i know a bunch of people on the team are also professional dungeon masters um i asked earlier if people had used characters from the vineyard in uh in other games um are people are people looking forward to future games and Seeing like, oh, I could use this character here. Does anybody have plans for something they could do with this?
0: Um, for sure, I'm running vineyard campaigns. Um, kind of as we get a little bit further into development, probably I'll start opening up a campaign or two for just vineyard-specific setting um, within the... Probably starting in May, after we get done with the Kickstarter, I'm going to start doing that. Um, and part of that is also for my writing, so that I can start to finish some of the writing for the for this book. Yeah, I definitely plan to integrate it. I think it there's a lot of opportunity for people to integrate this into a Waterdeep campaign, especially. I think water deeps almost perfect for this in any other big city.
2: I think at Bearist, uh I tend to throw whatever monster I'm working look, I'm working on at my players in my pro games. Like I um. I wrote uh, all the elementals for MCDM's Flee Mortals, which is coming out soon. And almost every single one of those, my, uh, my, particularly for some reason, my Sunday night Storm King Slender group has just fought. Because it's like, oh, I need an encounter. Oh, I'll use my Blazecaster. Oh, I need an encounter. Ooh, the Iron Star War would be fun to try out. I just get excited to try the stuff I write. It's, it's, I know, and uh, people tend to like it. So,
4: so I've been... I've been following some excellent advice that I got from a uh, really famous and uh, highly ranked pro DM about uh, building your audience and then having people go wherever you go. Um, and that has, I'm, I'm talking about Friday in Jason, anybody can't pick that up. Um, <laughs> and that's been working out really well for me. I've gotten a bunch of people interested in playing in a homebrew setting I've been working on and that I wish was a lot more done than it actually is. But as soon as I got brought onto the project, I was like, yep, this is getting dropped somewhere. This is going to be a whole little section of a whole big, like political intrigue, kingmaker, all that kind of uh, adventure thing. So I I am looking forward, forward to this being done because while it's not going to be a vineyard-specific campaign, it is going to be a part of that, like... Um, uh nation changing world shifting kind of political intrigue game one of these days
2: well, isn't that just the beautiful thing about ttrpgs as a like a medium is you know everybody can take their own version of it and these are all just stories we're telling on a campfire you know and they they can all coexist and they can all clash in every single way and it's all great
0: yeah i um Absolutely. A lot of these are meant to like be plug and play. They're meant to be modular in that way. So for sure, if you see locations or mechanics or uh, NPCs that you would like to use, these are really meant to stand alone. Um, and wherever you put them, uh, you can get enough from them. Even the setting itself is written as a nondescript city and i say nondescript in the way that it doesn't even have a name so that every reference is just the city within the book and there's no name given to it so that this thing can be modular to put in into any existing campaign and i think that's i think that's time for us isn't it tyler uh it seems to be just about that was a, that was a lot of questions <laughs> uh, thank you for thank you for doing this thank you to uh, everybody on the team uh who who showed up for this i'm sorry that it's 1:30 and uh in England, Dave. It's
5: all right. It's great just to hear how things are going and stuff keep
0: up yeah yeah i dave and just shout out to dave um dave was the person who actually inspired me to become a gm uh many many moons ago i played with dave uh in one form or another in role playing for uh i think it was probably over 10 years um and then i started playing with dave in like these old osr type games and these uh these bx type old games and i've like played games like mothership with dave and um yeah dave was definitely one of those instrumental people in uh, me getting more interested in doing it myself. and it's just a really fantastic storyteller, and it's and I just want to let you know, Dave. It's it's really been uh, wonderful to have you on the project and like to to come full circle because of uh, that you inspired me to do so much more uh, with my path in life, and now it's really just great to work with you on this.
5: Oh, man, but cry. <laughs> no, no, it's been wonderful to be involved in and uh, to, to to take you know the skills that we both developed together uh, in our shared pursuits you know those 10 years and everything and put it to a, a way that helps make uh you know make something really cool and new and fantastic and i'm really excited to see how it goes you know i'm really glad i was able to play that part you know i'm I'm the first the first review on your uh your pro GM uh, <laughs> profile and i'll always yeah. have that <laughs> yeah yeah
0: it's uh you'll always have that no one can take that away from you dave that's right <laughs> All right. Well, uh,
1: folks listening at home, thanks for joining us. Folks in the chat, thanks for joining us too. We'll see y'all in the Kickstarter, I guess.
2: My power literally just came on. It literally only died for this call. That's fantastic.
1: (laughs) Classic.